Good morning. We're going to look this morning at the only hope we have while we live in this broken world. I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6, which is one of the clearest prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he'll be called, the Lord, our righteousness. But as we try to understand the hope that that's promised, we have to kind of contrast that with the hope that the world offers. In a devotional that I've been reading from Nicky Gumbel, he points out that one of the most frequent songs sung at British funerals is the popular song by Frank Sinatra called My Way. And this really is a song that could have been sung by the leaders of Judah at the time of Jeremiah. And there was a problem with their leadership, obviously, just going back still in verse, chapter 23 of Jeremiah, but verse 1, it says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And the reason that they were destroying the sheep is because they were no longer doing things God's way. They were doing it their way. They were had the my way philosophy. I'm just going to read some of the lyrics from that song so you can see how the world can think that this is a, the way to live. And now that the end is here, and so I face that final curtain, my friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more. I did it. I did it my way. The song then in the lyrics goes on to say that regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and more, much more. I did it. I did it my way. And let the record show I took all the blows and did it my way. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. My way leads to destruction. Jeremiah, again, chapter 23, verse 2, points out that the shepherds are bad, that they're toxic leaders. They've scattered the flocks and they've driven them away because they didn't care for them. God goes on to say, I will punish you for the evil you have done. And this broken world is something that I think Jeremiah makes very clear that we can't fix. But God can fix what is broken. And verses 3 through 4 of Jeremiah 23 talks about the world is broken, but it needs fixing. But it needs fixing by God. And so in those verses, it talks about that leaders are going to be put in place, that are going to gather the remnant of the believers that come back from the exile. And that's going to be their second chance to be a blessing to all the people of the earth, which goes way back to Genesis 12, where Abraham receives that covenant with God that he is to be a blessing, that he's going to be blessed so that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. But the hope the broken world offers is simply just toxic. Again, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 11, there's a description of the leadership and the problems. He calls the watchman as blind 
And obviously, if a watchman is blind, a watchman is not much good. They lack knowledge. They're like mute dogs that can't bark. If you have a dog that's supposed to warn you when people are coming, but they can't bark, they're no good. They lie around and sleep and dream. They have mighty appetites, never having enough. The shepherds lack understanding and turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. They've adopted into that my way, world philosophy. Ezekiel takes up that same complaint in chapter 34, verses 2 through 3. The shepherds only take care of themselves. And then the Lord asked the question, shouldn't they take care of the flock? And Jesus himself talks about the problem when we have a shepherd that doesn't care for the flock. John 10, 12 talks about the shepherd that's a hired hand. And the wolf comes and attacks the flock. He simply runs away because he doesn't care for the flock. He's just there for his paycheck. And that's a complete contrast to the hope that's offered through Jesus. If we look in Matthew 26, verse 39, it talks about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that prayer that he prays three different times, he prays that the cup be taken from him. And again, if we look at the Old Testament, the cup is often referred to as a symbolism for the wrath of God. But yet each of the times he prays that prayer, he ends it with, yet not as I will, but as you will. Quite a contrast to the my way philosophy. So his prayer really was not a resignation just to doing what God wanted, but it was great courage, being willing to follow God no matter what. And he prayed that prayer three different times because of that impending suffering, which didn't involve just his physical suffering, but experiencing the wrath and separation from God. You can find in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 22, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 16, where the cup is referred to as God's wrath. We, on the other hand, talking about we humans, have been singing that My Way song long before Frank Sinatra made it popular in 1969. We started singing it way back in the Garden of Eden. Really, that was what Adam and Eve's refrain was. We're not going to do it your way, God, but we're going to do it my way. And of course, we can't fix ourselves, let alone our culture. And Jeremiah certainly couldn't fix his culture, but Jesus can. And we look at how Jesus offers that hope, the only hope we have in this broken world, I think it's important just to look at what he had to say. So there are several different verses where Jesus talks about himself and who he is. John 4, verses 25 through 26, he says, basically, I'm the Messiah. This is when he's meeting with the Samaritan woman by the well and asks for a drink, and they get into this theological discussion. But he basically just ends that by letting her know that he's the Messiah. In John 6, 35, he talks about, I'm the bread of life. Never hungry, never thirsty, because he's the bread of life. He's all we need. John 8, 23 talks about, I am from above. He points out that he is from God. And he makes it even clearer in the same chapter in verse 58, which almost resulted in him getting stoned. Before Abraham was born, he says, I am, referring back to that description that God gave of himself way back in Exodus when Moses asked, what do I say when the people ask who sent me? 
And he simply tells him, tell him, I am who I am has sent you. He goes on to say in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9, I am the door or the gate for the sheep. Same chapter, he talks about, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 36 in John 10, I am the son of God. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. John 13, 13, I am the teacher and Lord. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And John 15, 1, I am the true vine. And then going down to Revelation, Revelation 1, 8, I am the Alpha, the Omega. And explaining it, still in Revelation 1, verse 17, I am the first and the last. So it's because of who Jesus is that we have hope in this broken world. It's not because of the hope we have by doing it my way. And John 10, excuse me, 12, verse 32 says, When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me, referring to, of course, his crucifixion. And going back to John 6, 40, he says, I will raise him up at the last day, explaining that those that look to him will have eternal life. And John 14, he says, I will go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again. So while we're waiting for Jesus to come again, what do we do in the meantime? We've got a second chance. So are we supposed to just sit around and wait, twiddle our thumbs, say, woe is me, there's nothing we can do about this world? Well, Jeremiah, again, in verse 4, I think makes it clear that's not the case. Because God tells Jeremiah that he's going to place leaders, shepherds over them, to take care of them, to show them God's way of life. Because God's way of life leads to life, while our way leads to death. And Ezekiel, if we think it's not possible for us to do that because of our inability, like Moses, we're just reluctant to take on that role of leading God's people. I think Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 6, actually that whole chapter gives us a lot of encouragement. And this is that prophecy well, verse 6 is just where the watchman is told that he is responsible if he doesn't warn. So we have that responsibility. That responsibility to let people know what the truth is. Also in Ezekiel, he has that prophecy where he talks about the dry bones. And that's in chapter 37. I had my chapters mixed up. And verses 1 through 14, when we think we are powerless because we're just like these dry bones of no use, God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones. And then they're covered with flesh. The muscle returns, but they're still dead until he's told to prophesy to the winds and the breath of God from the four wind comes and makes them living beings. And God's Holy Spirit does the same thing for us. It gives us that second chance to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. Moses had a legacy which the Jewish nation just summed up in the law and focused on the law. But Jeremiah 23, 7 through 8, I think makes it clear that Jesus is replacing that legacy of the law by that legacy of that grace, that grace where we have a second chance. So where do we go from here? 
You know, if we've gotten that second chance, as Ephesians 2, 8 talks about, it's a gift from God. It's nothing through faith, but it's nothing we've done. Then as Ezekiel told us in chapter 33, we are watchmen. We need to warn. We need to tell people the truth. We need to tell them about God's way leads to life, that my way leads to death. And that's all of our responsibilities. 1 Peter 2.9 talks about the priesthood of believers. That's all of us. We're all shepherds. We all have a responsibility to the people to help them belong to the family of God. And you may think, well, I don't have any influence on anyone. Well, you have your family, you have your friends, you have your co-workers. John Maxwell, who's written many different books on leaderships, points out that sociologists believe even the most isolated, introverted individual will influence at least 10,000 people within their lifetime. So we all have a great deal of people that we can influence. So what are we supposed to influence them with? The truth. Micah 6.8 points it out that we are to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Justice, mercy, and righteousness, that's the name, the king of righteousness that comes from the branch, that comes from David, that Jeremiah is talking about, which is Jesus. And Jesus himself sums it up in Matthew 22, verses 20, 37, excuse me, through 40, where he tells us we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because we need that to do the next part. And that is to love our neighbor as herself. Now, all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. So Jesus has given us a commission to work for justice, mercy, compassion, in this world that desperately needs it, and to work for it right now. We're not just to sit and wait for him to come again. He's given us a job to do. And he'll finish it when he gets here. If you'll join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you're the God of second chances. We thank you that you are the hope, and the only hope that we have in this broken world. Enable us through your blessings, to be a blessing to all the people that we can influence. In Jesus' name, amen.